Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. Before I play this episode, I think I should give a kind of disclaimer about the content. I just want to say two things. So this is an episode about Britain, recorded with my brother in August this year, which is obviously before we all got the news that the Queen had been taken ill and had died. And we do talk about the Queen a few times during the episode, but of course she is no longer with us and now we have King Charles III. So firstly, the things we say about the Queen will be a bit anachronistic now as you listen to it. Anachronistic, meaning belonging to the past and a bit out of step with the present. So that's the first thing. This was recorded when the Queen was still alive and when she was the head of state, which is now obviously no longer the case. So there are a few little anachronisms and we refer to the Queen in the present tense. And secondly, when we do mention the Queen and a lot of other things in this episode, it's done in a humorous way. And I'm aware that some people might find that inappropriate, but we aren't really mocking her harshly or specifically. We copy her voice a bit, and parts of the episode are just a bit silly and funny, but our intentions are decent. I don't think we could be indicted for treason or anything like that. So, I hope you take it all in the spirit of good-natured British humour, which is our intention. And let's remember that the Queen has been praised a lot over the last week or so for her good sense of humour. So hopefully she would see the funny side, but who knows. In any case, I think it's okay, and I've decided to publish this. I hope you enjoy it, and actually, I hope you see it as a sort of celebration of British stuff for what it's worth. All right then, now I've said that, let's start the episode properly, and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello listeners, welcome back to my podcast. How are you doing today? I hope you're doing fine, as always. Now, are you ready to do some more listening to improve your English? If the answer to that question is yes, then good, keep listening. Here's a new episode featuring James, my older brother. This is a two-part episode, actually, and you're listening to part one. In this one, you're going to hear James and me discussing various facts about the UK. That's the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, of course. England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. The UK. Facts about the UK. A few weeks ago, James and I came up with a list of 50 facts about British life, customs, laws, history and culture, which we could talk about on this podcast. We thought you might find it interesting. So that's what you'll hear. But the thing is, some of these facts 
are true and some of them are not true. They're false, completely made up, invented by James and me. So the game is, can you guess which of these facts are true and which ones are false? Here's how this is going to work. First, you'll hear us reading out our list of so-called facts and you can decide if you think they're true or not. And then we'll discuss each fact and we'll reveal if they're true or not and we'll explain some bits of language and culture along the way. On the subject of vocab, uh, vocabulary, two things. First thing, you'll find a list of all the facts on the page for this episode on my website. They're all written there for you, so you can go and read them if you like. If you hear a word and you're not sure what it is, you can check all the sentences there. Also, I recommend trying to read those sentences out loud. All the facts, just try reading them out loud. It's actually quite good pronunciation practice. You can then compare your version to the way James and I read the sentences. And perhaps you can shadow us or repeat the sentences after us. Some of them are actually quite challenging, quite difficult to say clearly, as you'll see. So that's just something you could try doing for practice. There are always other ways to push your English with these podcasts beyond just listening. Or if you prefer not doing any extra practice, if you prefer not doing any work or anything, then you can just sit back, listen, enjoy and eat a chocolate biscuit. Second thing is some of the facts presented here are about UK laws and you might hear a few different words to describe laws, things like this. So you've got a rule, a law, legislation, to ban something or to be banned, an act of parliament, provisions in an act, a royal decree, an initiative, a custom and to be customary. So various words, many of them relating to law. I'll go through those words briefly at the end of the episode, giving you a little tiny taste of LEP premium with definitions, explanations and a couple of examples, just to make sure that you understood the full meaning and difference between them. Because lots of words like that will just pop up in this episode and you might think, hold on, wait a minute, how many words for laws and rules are there? Law, decree, act, you know, provisions, customs, what, what you know, huh? And if that is you, just listen on until the end of this part to hear some vocabulary explanations from me, which no doubt will just be really helpful and you'll think, oh, thanks. So this is an audio only episode. But if you're listening on YouTube, you will see that the facts are written on the screen with a few pictures to illustrate them in most cases, which again should help you not only understand everything, but also to notice vocabulary with your eyes and your brain. And you can always switch on the automatic subtitles in English on YouTube, which are surprisingly accurate these days. But now that's enough waffle. Let's get started with part one of this recorded at my parents' home in England a couple of weeks ago during the summer holidays, just after we'd eaten a large lunch with the whole family. Okay, so this is part one of 50 Random British Facts with James. Let's go. Hello, 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 James. Hi. How are you? Mm, good, thanks. We just ate lunch. Yeah, a huge amount of cheese. Did you, eat, did you eat too much? Mm-hmm. You did? Yeah. Okay. Are you all right for this podcast? You're going to stay conscious? 
Yeah. Yeah. So here we are in Britain. Mm -hmm. 50 random facts about British life. Are they true or are they false? So only the true ones are actually facts. The other ones are... Just completely made up nonsense. Made up rubbish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So and we made these up together. You made up most of them. I made up some of them. Yeah, we, we wrote these together uh, a while ago. 50 things. Listeners, can you identify if they are true or just completely stupid nonsense? So how are we going to do it? Do we read them all out and then give the answers? Or how are you going to you break it down we'll, into bits? We'll or break, it, break it up into sections. So I think we'll do 12 and then we'll talk about those 12 and then we'll do the next lot. Yeah. Um, and then we'll talk about them, and then we'll do the next lot, and so on and so forth. You see? Okay. All so, right. do you want to? Should we? Should we sort of take it in turns to read these? Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, I'm just trying to wake up, having a slight um, ham and cheese-based sleep feeling. <laughs> <laughs> For one of a better, that wasn't really very good English. Ham and cheese-based sleep disorder. Yes. Where you just want to fall asleep. Mm. It's that weird of that, isn't it? Why does that happen when you've eaten a lot and your body's like, okay? Shut down all other processes. Focus only on digestion. And you kind of go into a sort of stasis. Oh, the yawn, the first big yawn of the podcast has arrived. No, I'm I'm waking up. Come on, let's let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so shall we take turns to read out these sentences? Okay. Okay, here we go then. Let's get started. Round one, here we go. Number one, in a recent poll by the BBC, 71% of British people said that British food was the best in the world. Examples given included curry and lasagna. True or false? Number two. Number two, 8% of British people live in London. All right. Number three, work meetings in the UK often commence with a short joke before people get down to business. The joke is usually printed on slips of paper or distributed in advance by email. Number four. All pubs must have a picture of the Queen displayed somewhere behind the bar. I'm wondering if we should say each one twice. Okay, well, we'll start with them twice now. Okay. Just to repeat that, all pubs must have a picture of the Queen displayed somewhere behind the bar. Is that true or is that false? Number five. Another way to say thanks in the UK is to say ta. Another way to say thanks in the UK is to say ta. That's T-A, ta. Number six, true or false. Big Ben is the nickname of a large clock tower in Westminster. So that's Big Ben is the nickname of a large clock tower in Westminster. True or false. Number seven. British people drink 100 million cups of tea a day. Each. Not each. So in total, the total number of cups of tea drunk in Britain every day is 100 million. Approximately. Okay? British people drink 100 million cups of tea every day. Hmm, that sounds like a lot. Okay. Number eight. Cockfighting is illegal. But heron fighting is still commonly practiced in rural areas. <laughs> now, cockfighting, that's where they get two chickens to fight each other, or, or male chickens. Yeah, two cocks. Two cocks. Uh, so, just to repeat that, number eight, cockfighting is illegal, but heron fighting is still commonly practiced in rural areas. And what's a heron? 
heron is another bird it's a wild bird that lives you often find them next to rivers <clears throat> they're, they're sort of grey and quite tall thin looking birds that stay very still right next to the water and then because they're looking down into the water trying to catch a fish and then s suddenly pow they'll shoot their beak into the water and grab a fish but you rarely see them doing that they're, they're, they're sort of these tall thin grey birds that you see by the side of the river sometimes Cockfighting is illegal, but heron fighting is still commonly practiced in rural areas. Uh, number nine. During the Second World War, a fake mock-up of London was built in the Kent countryside with an intricate system of lights to confuse German bomber pilots during nighttime air raids. So that sentence again. During the Second World War... A fake mock-up of London was built in the Kent countryside with an intricate system of lights to confuse German bomber pilots during nighttime air raids. Okay. Fact number 10. Every year on the 5th of November, children burn an effigy of a Catholic terrorist who once attempted to blow up the Houses of Parliament during the King's visit. So that question again. Sentence. Sentence again. True or false? Every year on the 5th of November, children in the UK burn an effigy of a Catholic terrorist who once attempted to blow up the Houses of Parliament during the King's visit. They burn an effigy of a Catholic terrorist. I think we know what burn is. Effigy means like a, a, a model. Yeah, sort of a, yeah. Uh, a model of a person. Like a person, but made of um, straw. Or newspaper or something. <laughs> Oops, I did it. You did it again. Sorry, go on. Number two. That was the second, I mean, number two, the second yawn. All right, we're not S counting these now. So, yeah, 5th of November, children burn an effigy of a Catholic terrorist who tried to blow up the Houses of Parliament during the King's visit once. True or false? We don't need to keep saying true or false. All right, I just said it at the beginning just yeah. to remind people that's what the that's game been was. A, that's already been established. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll scrap that. They already know it's true or false. Number 11, true or false. Uh, okay. Number 11. Every year, the Mayor of London is given a dozen oxen as part of his annual pay packet. The livestock are actually uh, the livestock are usually donated to a charity of the Mayor's choice or slaughtered. Every year, the Mayor of London is given a dozen oxen as part of his annual pay packet. The livestock are usually donated to a charity of the Mayor's choice or slaughtered. So what are oxen? Oxen means cows, basically. A dozen oxen means about, well, it means 12 cows. So the mayor of London, mayor, mayor. That's how we say it in... in mayor, mayor, mayor. Mayor, mayor. In American we say mayor. Mayor. So the mayor of London is given 12 cows as part of his annual pay packet. Right, so the, the mayor is paid, normally money, but... According to this sentence, he's also given 12 cows as part of his annual pay. The livestock, that's another word for, in this case, cows, but livestock could be any animals that are kept on a farm, usually cows or sheep or pigs. Um, the livestock, the 12 cows, are usually donated to a charity of the mayor's choice or they are slaughtered. Or slaughtered. <laughs> They're usually donated to a charity of the mayor's choice. Or slaughtered. Right. Slaughtered means killed. Next one. Number 12. 
A recent excavation of the site of Shakespeare's former home in London turned up a number of clay pipes containing the residue of cannabis resin or hashish. That sentence again. A recent excavation of the site of Shakespeare's former home in London turned up a number of clay pipes containing residue of cannabis resin or hashish. Yes. So Interesting. When, uh, well, I suppose, archaeologists or historians excavated the site of Shakespeare's former home in London and, they, and the excavation turned up a number of clay pipes. So while they were excavating, they found some clay pipes, pipes which are used for smoking, right, containing the residue, like sort of bits of leftover stuff, the residue of cannabis resin or hashish. Hmm. So, <coughs> choking on my tea. So, did they find some pipes containing bits of cannabis at Shakespeare's former home in London? Or didn't they? Okay, should we go through those sentences? Oh, that's the first 12. That's the first 12. Right, that's, okay, round, so that's round one. End of round one. End of round one. Round one. Terminated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go on then. Go back to the top. Okay. So, what do you think, listeners? First one was, um, in, a, in a recent poll by the BBC, 71% of British people said that British food was the best in the world. Examples given included curry and lasagna. Now, I think you throw that into annoy people because, A, no one would think British food was the best in the world. And, B, curry and lasagna are not British foods. They're from foreign countries. <laughs> uh, India. Although they're both and- very popular cuisines in, in England, Indian and uh, Italian food, both right. very popular. Right, yeah. I th- think that has to be false. It's false. It's completely made up. All of it's made up. There was no poll by the BBC. 71% was plucked out of the air. That's the, there's None of it was true. Well, it is a fact that 75% of all statistics are made up. On the spot. Yeah, the little joke there for, for the keen-eared listeners. That's 75%. So you made that up just to annoy people, basically. I made, I made that up just to annoy people because people, first of all, obviously people's prejudices against the UK include the fact that our food is bad. Um so, yeah, it's just completely made up. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think British people would say that British food was the best in the world. Some of them might. But most people would probably say it's what stuff like. Yeah, Indian food is very popular here. I mean, I like a Sunday roast. I mean, that's pretty British. Yeah. Roast beef and, you know, Yorkshire puddings and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I do like that. Yeah, me too. Um, I think I, I've thought about this before. You had to, if you had to choose one nation's cuisine... To only have for the rest of your life, what would you go with? Oh, it's, it, Italy is hard to beat. It's hard to beat because it's got everything. It's got the light dishes and it's also got the heavy meaty dishes and it's also got quite spicy dishes. Yeah. It's kind of got all bases covered and it's got seafood, so it's kind of got all it's bases got it covered. All. It's really. got it all, hasn't it, Italian food? Well done, Italy. Congratulations. <laughs> and ice cream. And ice cream. And that's and the whole desserts. world there applauding you for your food. And the Italians at this point are going, yeah, we know. We know. Anyway. Um, but, um, I mean, you know. I, mean, I could e- equally go with um, kind of, I don't know. Indian food is I great. Like, I like Asian food. The- I mean, I do like, mm-hmm. you know, in, uh, what's what's the one that we Japanese, Chinese. Yeah. Indian. But that's not one nation, is it? You know, I'd find it hard to stick to one nation's food. I think I'm going to have to stick with Italy. Some people might say French, but nah, I don't know. Italy, I think, beats France. French is the kind of classic um, kind of... 70s food. Well, high-regarded 
in this country, the classic, what's seen as kind of... Gastronomic food. Gastronomic, so classic food is generally based on the French style, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Bistro-type food. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, let's not get stuck up on this. Okay, anyway, that so that sentence was false, as I'm sure most of you identified. Uh, okay, by the way, you get one point for every correct uh, response. And if you get 50 points out of 50, congratulations, you are... What? What? What do they win? An absolute genius. You probably also cheated, but um, <laughs> question number two. Okay. Eight percent of British people live in London. I wasn't sure about this, but it sounds about right. Eight percent of British people live in London. It does sound about right, doesn't it? Um, it is, in fact, pretty much true. Uh, okay, because um, about nine million people live in London, and there's just under seventy million people in in the UK in total in Britain. So, you know, 9 million out of 70 million does roughly work out at about 8%. So there you go. That's yeah. that's true. So, you know, surprise, surprise, lots of people live in London. Okay. Um, um, yeah. Um, okay. Number three, work meetings in the UK often commence with a short joke before people get down to business. The joke is usually printed on slips of paper or distributed in advance by email. I mean, that's not, it's not literally true in that formality way and then jokes distributed by email and stuff but before a meeting there is generally a kind of beginning bit where everyone gets settled and you might have a bit of light banter or kind of chat where what have you been doing what did you get up to the weekend did you see something on telly last night that kind of thing but it wouldn't be a structured like we're now going to tell a joke but there may be a kind of loose chat before you get down to business normally there's a bit of small talk as as you say, as people just get ready, um, and there's you know a little bit of small talk, which might include bits of humour. Maybe some people are just sort of saying some slightly sarcastic comments, or just sort of making fun of each other, depending on the situation and stuff. But yeah, sometimes a bit of humorous small talk, and then and then when it's time to start, people say what? Right, let's crack on. Let's crack on. Let's get down to it then. Let's get on with let's it. Let's get on with it. So you know, blah blah blah. And then is you... Janet here? No, she's late again. <sighs> Everyone okay. rolls their eyes a bit. So Dave's going to be taking the minutes today. Blah blah yeah. blah. What's the first item on the agenda? And so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, the idea that a joke would be written on written in in an email and distributed. Did everyone receive uh, the the uh, the emailed joke today? You did, okay. Sandra, would you like to start by reading out the uh, the first line of the joke? Um, you know, no, of course not. Not true. Not true. No way. Okay, next one. Uh, all pubs must have a picture of the Queen displayed somewhere behind the bar. It's not law. No. It's false. It's it's, it's clearly patently false. But a lot of them actually do. I don't know, you know, I haven't, I don't, not I don't a lot see of them. that very often. I mean, not often. a lot of them, a few of them do. Okay, let's say a few of them, maybe the more hipstery places that are trying to look like an old pub. Yeah. Will have something like that. And some of the really genuinely old school pubs might have, but I'd say probably only about 1%. It's, yeah, it's not many would actually have a picture of the Queen behind the bar, no way. It's very old fashioned, it's, it's in the, the East Enders, they have things like that, isn't it? It's in sort of uh, cliched... Uh, uh, Films. Films and sort of caricatures of of British pub life, but in reality, nah. Um, although the names of pubs are often uh, like have got a queen or a king or a prince or a duke yeah. in there. Yeah, true. Duke of Wellington, the you know the Prince of Wales, you know that sort of thing is quite common. Yeah, the Queen's head, things like that is very common. But no, no law which says you have to have a picture of the Queen somewhere behind the bar. That's ri- that's ridiculous. Number five. 
Um, another way, well, you, you read this one. Go on. Okay. Another way to say thanks in the UK is, is to say ta. Ta. Well, true. It's true. It's completely true. Uh, I remembered as a teacher teaching classes of students, whenever I taught them that, people would be like, what? Really? They're completely surprised. And they'd look at me like, really? What? And I'd say, yes. It's very informal. I mean, you'd kind of say it when you uh, maybe just bought a newspaper and you're like, oh, cheers, mate. Ta. Ta. Or can you just pass me that uh, that piece of paper? Ta. Yeah. It's for a low level informal thank you. Yeah. You wouldn't say it if you'd just been knighted. <laughs> I hereby, the Queen, I hereby, um, what, is it, what would it be? Good? Invest I, of you. The, 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 I proclaim you Sir James Thompson. Oh, tar. Tar. <laughs> tar, yeah, thanks. No, not appropriate in that situation, but um, very casual. It's okay. For some reason, I imagine the Beatles saying that when they were given the MBE by tar the Queen. Love. You know, um, you know, here you are, here are your MBEs. Um, oh, tar very much. Tar very much. John Lennon, MBE. Oh, sorry. But it's true, tar, meaning thanks. Uh, number six. Big Ben is the nickname of a large clock tower in Westminster. Bit of a trick question, that one, I think. Ah. Because everyone calls Big Ben Big Ben. Even I just called it Big Ben. Well, that's, yeah, that's which why is it's the called tower. Big ben. But it's actually the bell, is that right? Big that's Ben right. is actually the bell in the clock tower. But everyone calls the tower. the tower Big Ben. It's actually technically not the name of the tower, and it's not the name of the clock on the tower. It's the name of the largest bell in the tower, which chimes or gongs or bongs every hour. Bong. <laughs> That's right. And um, so there's a, there's a few bells in that tower, but the largest one is very old and it's very loud and very big. Bong. Bong. That's Big Ben. Okay, there you okay, go. So wow. that was false. So that sentence was false. A bit of a trick question there. Okay. I hope you didn't, uh, so, maybe it caught you out there. So you're saying, number seven, British people drink 100 million cups of tea a day each. Yeah, not each. Not Sorry, not each. Um, that sounds like too many. How many people are there in the UK? We've established it's a, just under 70 million. So it's about... So that would be how many cups of tea each? 100 uh, each? Uh, what's It's 1.3 cups of tea a day. Oh, per uh, person. Well, yeah, that's right then. 1.3 oh, no, cups not per person. Oh, no, because not everyone drinks tea. Not everyone drinks tea, but some people drink quite a lot, like you. I'd say it's still too many. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, according to the UK Tea and Infusions Association, this is true. 100 million cups of tea a day? Mm. Quite a lot. <sighs> I suppose, that. how do they work that out? I don't know, it's tea sales, tea bag sales? Um, God. Yeah, so apparently that is true. And uh, what per- what percentage, listeners, do you think add milk to, to the tea? What percentage do you think? 50%, 60%, 70%, 20%? Don't know. 98%, apparently, of British people add milk to their tea. And well, some look, people are going, no! I'm saying that's going down a lot because a lot of people are switching to oat milk now. I, I would still include that... Uh, in, in, you think oat in, milk still counts as milk? Yeah, because it's called oat milk. You see the oat t- milk. The cl- clues yeah, yeah, in the yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not actually milk, though, is it? It's oat stuff. Oat it, it's oat powder infused given liquid. Oat powder with water added to it, yeah, which gives pretty, it a milky sort of. Um, pretty minging, but um, it's probably milk's pretty bad for you. I think. Uh, mm. 
The jury's mm. out on that one. It has calcium in it, but it also has lactose and things that aren't so good for you. It's, it also contains fat, you know. Yeah, and, it's very uh, fatty. It's probably not great for cholesterol. It's not great for the cows either because they have to take the babies away from the mother cows. To and make other them, things. And other things. Yes. And isn't there that fact that, like, it's probably false, but a certain percentage of the milk is pus. <laughs> something something that, that vegetarians always try and tell Wait, you. What's pus, James? I don't know, but it's not very nice. Pus is like, okay, so this is, it's going to get disgusting for about 30 seconds, listeners. Okay, ready, hold on to something. So in some cases, um, uh, cows are given hormones or growth stimulants to um, make the udders uh, grow larger so that they produce more milk. But it's done artificially. They're given stimulants to make them produce more milk. Uh, and this can, this can cause the udders... Uh, to swell up and become infected, and oh. so in the if uh, another has been infected, then yeah, maybe some pus, which is stuff that the body produces while while fighting an infection, probably like dead white blood cells or something, uh, might enter the milk. But it's hold on, listeners, whoa there, just stop. Don't get the wrong impression. We're not dr- sitting around drinking pus, okay? And what James said is it's not true a certain percentage of the well, milk is pus well they used to say that's... something like 20% of what? milk is pus well that's sort of, sort of sort of veggie propaganda you know that's basically. not that's that can't be true 20% of milk is we're getting pus. distracted with that's another false fact and disgusting here. and we're also convincing or or confirming the bias that many people out there will have that putting milk in your tea is disgusting and wrong and should never be done but um I don't agree. I put milk in my tea and I tried going to the oat milk and I didn't like it. So oat milk back, didn't work. Went back to real milk. Yeah. Sorry. Well, you know, they do say that tea is a, is a good drink, especially if it's green tea. It's very, very healthy. It's full of um, antioxidants and other things. That's good. Black tea, which is the basis of like your typical English tea that we have every day, uh, is also not that bad. Uh, but adding milk to it does reduce the, the health benefits. All right, let's let's uh, get on with it. Let's move on. Right. So, What's next? Oh, okay. Another a, a bonus question, by the way. Before tea became the most popular drink in the UK, what what was the most popular drink in the UK? So, what was the previous most popular drink in the UK? I think it was beer. Uh, no, apparently it was gin. They, really? Yeah, gin. Yeah, this is the, the old most days. popular drink in the country, even more than water. Well, no, I, I think that <laughs> <laughs> I think that water isn't included for some reason. The the the, the most popular non-water drink. Well, there's um, that famous etching by uh, Hogarth, William Hogarth, um, who's got a roundabout named after him in Chiswick, and a statue. Wrote uh, did a an etching, a drawing of called Gin Lane, which is supposed to be a kind of critique of London's gin culture. And it's basically everyone in the picture is pissed, drunk, on gin. And there's babies falling out of windows. There's mums dropping their babies on the floor. It's just a horrible scene of everyone, people throwing up in the corner, people walking into lampposts and getting into accidents and falling off building sites. And it's just the whole, everyone in the scene is pissed on gin. A lot of falling babies. Yeah, yeah. This was cutting-edge satire at the time, but (laughs) it makes you think, you know, it must have been quite a a scene for him to actually think that that was something he needed to make a statement about when is this are we talking about sort of the 19th century right i think the 19th century we you could quickly check now if you wanted to check i can't be bothered well Well, all right okay i'll check hogarth gin lane 
Hogar. You can cut this. Gin Lane. I might cut out the Luke look something up on the internet. Yeah, just bit. make it look like you know exactly jump what you're doing. Jump straight to this. 1751. Okay, 18th, mid 18th century. Um, and uh, gin was a very popular drink. There would be reasons for it. I'll tell you why. Because they, uh, they put up the tax on beer. Yeah. Because, you know, people are always arguing over tax and they were trying to raise more money. So it ended up that gin was cheaper than beer. Okay. So everyone just switched to gin. And so there was a lot of drunkenness. Ah, okay, right. Uh, there was a gin crisis. Economic protectionism was a major factor in beginning the gin craze as the price of food dropped and income grew. Cus- consumers suddenly had the opportunity to spend excess funds on spirits. Um, gin provided an alternative to French brandy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the government in the UK passed a range of legislation aimed at restricting brandy imports from France and encouraging gin production. So it was probably made quite cheap. It was made in London. Uh, yeah. So you didn't have to import it. It was easily made. You can make it in, in a bathtub. You know, it was very easy to get your hands on gin in those days, and it was very cheap. The market for gin distillation was open, opened up to... Uh, the public in the seventeen in in sixteen ninety, uh, so the production and consumption of English gin, which was then popular amongst politicians and even Queen Anne, was encouraged by the government. This encouragement was shown in the reduced taxes on the distillation of spirits. Additionally, no licenses were needed to make spirits, so distillers of spirits could have simpler, uh, smaller, simpler workshops than brewers making beer who were required to serve food and provide shelter for patrons. So basically the government said, go ahead and make as much gin as you want. And it was probably a a form of economic sort of uh, uh, war against France who produced uh, brandy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Crazy. And so everyone just went completely bonkers on gin. Um, Okay, so binge drinking has got a long and uh, colourful history in this country. Um, So next thing was uh, cockfighting is illegal, but heron fighting is still commonly practised in rural areas. What a ridiculous idea. (laughs) Clearly false, but it sounds funny. It reads very well. It's a good sentence. Um, so just a reminder, cockfighting, which again is something that used to be done uh, when chickens are made to fight each other. Very cruel uh, sport, a blood sport, as it's known. Um, that is illegal, but was quite common. But heron fighting is still commonly practised in rural areas. No, not not true, has never been true. Herons have never, as far enough, as far as I know, herons have never made, have never been made to fight each other. Um, so yeah, just that's complete bollocks. Uh, right. But it was quite fun to make up that sentence. Uh, okay, number nine. Number nine. Number nine. During the Second World War, a fake mock-up of London was built in the Kelton. Start again. During the Second World War, a fake mock-up of London was built in the Kent countryside with an intricate system of lights to confuse German bomb. Can I do that one more time? Don't no. leave this in. Number nine. During the Second World War, a fake mock-up of London was built in the Kent countryside with an intricate system of lights to confuse German bomber pilots during nighttime air raids. I made that up. Yeah, you I did. I think it's a really good idea, though. We should have done it. We, maybe we should tell the government to do it again. 
we're, we're not actually at war with Germany anymore. Oh, yeah. Um, Thank God for that. So, during the Second World War, a fake mock-up, a mock-up of London. What's a mock-up of London? A fake thing. Like a sort of, um, uh, yeah, a fake model of London. Something that's made to look like London, but it's not actually London. That The idea that a whole, a, a whole fake model of London <laughs> was built in the Kent countryside. Kent is a county to the south-east of London. So you'd have to go through Kent or over Kent in order to get to London. You'd imagine the bombers, the German bombers would have been, would have flown to London via Kent. And if maybe they'd be like, oh, wait a minute, what are all these these lights? Maybe this is London. This is my German accent. No need for the accent at all. (laughs) Was that really wrong? Um, They were German, though. I mean, yes, okay. I'm not sure that accent was, though. The accent wasn't, though. So anyway. But they used to to do lots of fake things during the war. Like they used to distribute fake information and they used to do fake. news reports and fake uh, missions, plans to feed to the enemy to kind of, you know, get the advantage in some way. Yeah. So I just thought it'd be a good idea for them to make a fake London. <laughs> just a whole fake London with an intricate system of lights <laughs> to uh, to confuse German bomber pilots during nighttime air raids. So they're all, I'll do it again, but at this time I'm going to give the German bomber pilots uh, upper class English accents. Oh, look here, look. You see all these lights down here? Maybe this is London. Quick, <laughs> drop all those bombs, boys, and let's go home for some sauerkraut and other oh, German uh, cuisine. I think that was even worse. That was unnecessary. Apparently, they suggest London was given away by the Thames, though, because even at night time, yeah. you can still see the Thames. Uh, so it's pretty easy to locate your... find your bearings... Yeah, and work out where you are. They followed the river, especially on sort of moonlit nights. They could just yeah. follow the river and Bob's your uncle, as they <laughs> say. Um, before D-Day, uh, there were fake tanks and fake uh, trucks and vans and stuff. They still do it. I think lots of armies around the world still have inflatable tanks and things to, you know, confuse air satellite imagery. And yeah. so you think, oh, there's a shitload of tanks there. Let's avoid that area. And they're actually all inflatable ones. Yeah. The, the Allied forces did use fake uh, tanks and positioned them as if the army was about to cross the English Channel at the, at the Dover to Calais sort of part of the mm. English Channel. And uh, the Germans were, con- were fooled by it and they, you know, put lots of f- uh, forces uh, there at Calais to stop them. Uh, but, ahaha, ah, no. They did it somewhere else instead. Normandy. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, number 10. Every year on the 5th of November, children burn an effigy of a Catholic terrorist who once attempted to blow up... <laughs> right. The Houses of Parliament during the King's visit. Now, you've said this is true. It is true. It is true, but when was the last time you saw a Guy Fawkes? Uh, you mean a, a Guy Fawkes? So, the, by the way, the Catholic terrorist is called was called Guy Fawkes, and Guy Fawkes Night uh, on the 5th of November, otherwise known as Bonfire Night, is a, um, you know, a significant uh, day or night on, in the English calendar. When people have bonfires and they have they let off fireworks and stuff like that, and yeah, that children burn an effigy. So that now, when we were kids, that used to happen a lot, and yeah. it used to happen in most people's. If you had a bonfire, it would be part of the bonfire to burn this guy, yeah, Guy Fawkes, and you'd have public bonfires with a guy on. It doesn't happen anymore. 
so we used to get like for example old trousers that you don't need anymore and stuff them with newspaper and an old sweater and you build this sort of guy this guy forks and you give him a you know like you make a hat out of newspaper and stuff and you chuck him on the bonfire i mean it's it's horrific it's pretty sick because it's also kind of political you know like it's kind of like a sort burn of the Catholic burn, you know, burn the terrorists i mean it's pretty ugly stuff terrible especially to teach kids yeah. And apparently Guy Fawkes was set up anyway, I've heard. Yeah, there are lots of uh, different versions of that story, including I mean, the fact Maybe that he wasn't the actual guy. Maybe he was just the, the full guy. He, he may, may have not been the chief conspirator and that other things were involved, and there's all sorts of different theories about but, it. And also, it's just bad taste to burn a person on a bonfire. Yeah. Um, and it's just, honestly, I haven't heard of that happening for, for decades. No. The last time I noticed that was when I was living in Liverpool in the late 90s, and every bonfire night you get kids in the street who've made their guy forks. Yeah. And these they, they, they're in the street and they go, penny for the guy? And basically they sit there with their guy forks and they ask people walking past to give them some money. It's a tradition. It's an old English tradition or mm. British tradition, but I don't think it... Maybe it still happens in some parts, but I haven't heard of that happening in years and years and years and years yep. and years. Because it's just really bad taste in the modern world. Yep. And it's a bit out of date. I would and say. And a bit sick. I would agree. Number 12... Uh, number 11, sorry. So so the that November the 5th one, listeners, is true, more or less, mostly true. Okay, so that is a, tr- a tradition, although the burning of the, of, of the guy on the bonfire is less common these days. But I would say, for the most part, that sentence is true. It still happens in some places. Yeah. Okay, so uh, number 11. Uh, every year, the mayor of London is given a dozen oxen as part of his annual pay packet. The livestock are usually donated to a charity of the mayor's choice or slaughtered. Or slaughtered. It has to, you have to say that, or slaughtered, in that sort of slightly tragic way at the end of the sentence um it's it's the kind of thing that could be true but it isn't is it it's not true it sounds like it could be one of those old laws which um you know an old traditional law that was set up in the olden days when people traded in livestock in that way and maybe people got paid cows and stuff especially high-ranking members of society but uh no we just made it up completely it's not true Mm. Um, so, so there you go. But the idea that they, the livestock these days, that it would still continue these days, yeah, that idea is, is uh, ridiculous. Or that the, the, the cows would be donated to a charity <laughs> or just killed. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> is um, no, not true. That's ridiculous. So that's false. Number 12. A recent excavation of Shakespeare's former home in London turned up a number of clay pipes containing the residue of cannabis. True. It is true, listeners. In 2015, traces of cannabis were discovered in tobacco pipes buried in William Shakespeare's garden. Does that mean Shakespeare was a pothead? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, but maybe not as well, because it's not conclusive. It could have been someone else's who was living there. And Shakespeare was like, get those pipes out of my house right now. In fact, fucking bury them in the garden. Well, clay pipes were very disposable because they'd break very easily and you'd get through, you know, a few a week, I believe. They're not something you'd have for a long time. Mm -hmm. They were kind of disposable items. So you would break them and probably just chuck them in the the garden because they... They're, they're fine in soil, you know, they're kind of right, break they, down. Well, yeah. they won't break down, but it won't do any harm. Yeah. Um, so it's it's possible that he was. I mean, some people have looked at this and said there's references to marijuana in uh, 
some of his plays, but there's far from obvious. Yeah. They're open to interpretation. And maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But, you know, look at Shakespeare's work and uh, how there's like so many themes in there. He's clearly, if it was all written by one person, that person must have had a very diverse and broad experience in his life in order to draw yeah. upon all those things to write those stories and, and everything. Did so you see possible. that sitcom that was made recently called something Upstart Crow? No. Sorry, David Mitchell. No, I didn't see that. It was a sitcom about Shakespeare. Ah. It's a bit like Blackadder. Okay. Um, and in that, his dad is in a rocking chair all the time, smoking a big clay pipe ah. and looking very kind of happy. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a reference to that. They've made out that his dad was a, a toker. Ah, right. <laughs> Shakespeare's dad. What was Shakespeare's dad's name? Well, Do you know? we don't know anything about that. Dave Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie Shakespeare. Ron Shakespeare. Uh, so we don't know, but it is true that the pipes were found. Okay. But it, they, they can't date it to the year. It could have been someone else who was living there. It could have been a, the person before or after him was living there. Could have just been a guest. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, a lot of people lived um, probably in, in, that that area. Ha- in that area or that house. So who knows? But the pipes were found with the traces of cannabis on them. So that much is true. Okay, are we ready, listeners? So that was section one. That was section one, 12 uh, sentences. How many did you get? Now, I could, we could do one of those things where we break it down. Like, if you got between uh, one and three, you're a moron. If we got between four and six, then yeah. you're normal. That's I don't know. What, that, but I, we're not doing that. Uh, but if you get 12 out of 12, then either you're very lucky, you've cheated, or, or, or you're just very, very clever. Um, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Let's see. Anyway, number 13. Okay, so... Are you ready to go through round two? Let's do it. Here we go. Round two. True or false? Fact or bollocks? Only you can decide. Well, you can't decide. You can just guess. So here we go. Number 13. In the UK, by law, if one man's dog gets bitten by another man's dog or woman's, The owner of that dog that did the biting must buy the other man a pub lunch or something else of equivalent value. Did you get that, everyone? In the UK, by law, if one person's dog gets bitten by another person's dog, the owner of the dog that did the biting must buy the other person a pub lunch 
or something else of equivalent value. Right, that's number 13. Number 14. Number 14. If the UK flag is flying at Buckingham Palace, it means the Queen is in the building. So that's the flag known as the Union Jack, but not actually called the Union Jack. If the, the UK flag is flying at Buckingham Palace, it means the Queen is in the building. True or false? You go to Buckingham Palace, you see the UK flag there flying on the flagpole. Does this mean that the Queen is in the building? Okay, number 15. If you live to be 100 years old, you will receive a personal letter from the Queen in the post. If you live to be 100 years old, you will receive a personal letter from the Queen in the post. Okay, number 16. In 2020, English winemakers Langham Wine Estate of Dorset won the International Wine and Spirit Competition Sparkling Wine Producer of the Year, which is one of the most prestigious awards a winemaker can win. They beat every top French champagne brand in the competition. Let's just have that, uh, that sentence. So that's in 2020, English winemakers Langham won the International Wine and Spirit Competition Sparkling Wine Producer of the Year, one of the most prestigious awards a winemaker can win. They beat every top French champagne brand. They beat every top <laughs> French champagne brand in the competition. So and it's is, a blind tasting, so that the, the tasters are, are not allowed to see what they're drinking. They it, just judge it on taste alone. Is it true, listeners, that an English winemaker... Beats beat all French champagne houses. In a blind test uh, in 2020... 2020 can that, that can that possibly be true? Could, could it be true? Is the, the the passion with which we repeat keep repeating <laughs> this? Does that make you believe it's true or not true? Or is that a red herring? A red herring, listeners, is uh, something which um, makes you uh, which affects your decision, but it's actually false. Anyway, number seventeen. Uh, in nineteen seventy six, a huge rat was discovered in the London sewer system. The police lost two dogs in their attempt to capture and destroy the animal. In 1976, a huge rat was discovered in the London sewer system. The police lost two dogs in their attempt to capture and destroy the animal. A huge rat, you know, in the London sewer system, that's the underground tunnels where all of the waste from people's toilets is transported to somewhere else. Um, so a huge rat was discovered down there in 1976 in London and the police lost two dogs while trying to capture and kill this rat. Is that true or not true? OK, number 18. In the UK, we drive on the left-hand side of the road. But in 1987, the UK government introduced plans to switch from driving on the left to driving on the right to bring the country in line with European standards. The initiative, which was eventually scrapped, was to be phased in over a period of six months, with heavy goods vehicles and buses switching first, followed by cars, then motorbikes and bicycles. Can we just have that again, please? It's quite a long one. You can say it's In the take, UK, we drive on the left. But in 1987, the government introduced plans to switch to driving on the right to bring the country in line with European standards. The initiative, which was eventually scrapped, was to be phased in over a period of six months, with heavy goods vehicles and buses first, followed by cars, then motorbikes and bicycles. True or false? So we'll explain some of the details of that one uh, in a bit. OK, number 19. It is always raining somewhere in the UK. 
Okay? It's always raining somewhere in the UK. True or false? Number 20. Okay, number 20. It is customary to buy a package of crisps to be shared while having a drink in the pub. And the crisp package is often ripped open in a certain way to allow everyone to take crisps from the pack, from the pair. <laughs> from the packet, I was going to say, and then it says bag. It is customary to buy a packet of crisps to be shared while having a drink in the pub. And the crisp packet is often ripped open in a certain... <laughs> Sorry, go on, this is good. This is no, good. it's not. It is listeners, you tr- listeners, you try reading, reading these out or repeating these. It's actually quite, it's actually quite difficult. After three glasses of wine, it is customary to buy a packet of crisps to be shared while having a drink in a pub, and the crisp packet. <laughs> it's often crisp. <laughs> oh Christ! Don't leave this in, please. Oh, Sorry, I really want to. All right, let me let me get this right. Okay, listeners. Okay, here we go again. Number it is 20. customary. Shut up. It is customary to buy a packet of crisps. <laughs> To be shared while having a drink in the pub. And the, the, crisp, the crisp packet is often ripped open in a certain way to allow everyone to take crisps from the bag. That's, that's crisps, not chips. All right, I'll do a serious one. Okay. It is customary to buy a packet of crisps to be shared while having a drink in the pub. And the crisp packet is often ripped open in a certain way to allow everyone to take crisps from the bag. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm That's crying. known as corpsing, isn't it? Corpsing, where you can't stop laughing, you know, like in the outtakes of a film or something. I think that's a theatre thing. Why do they always call things such weird things in the theatre? Like Why is that corpsing? Corpsing. Because it's the opposite of corpsing, would be you're, you're dead and you can't move. Yeah. It's like in the theatre when they say break a leg, which means good luck. Well, you know why that is, don't you? No. I've, I've told this on the podcast before. I don't, I've never known why break, that is. Break a leg. So bring, break a leg means um, bring the house down, right? So if you break a leg... So what you want, um, if you're a theatre performer, is you want the audience to raise the roof, right? You want yeah, them, cheering so much want, the roof comes off. You want them to cheer and clap and applaud so much uh, that the roof of the venue breaks, right? So a leg in this case, means the wooden beams that... Oh! The wooden beams that go across the roof. So break a leg means break... Break a support, break a column. Break a beam in the ceiling because the audience uh, enjoy the show so much. Doesn't mean your leg. Doesn't mean your own leg. I never knew why that was. It doesn't mean fall over during your performance and break your leg. It just means uh, raise the roof, bring the house down, and other things of that nature. Um, so so okay. why is corpsing called corpsing, though? That we don't know. Should we... Should we oh, Go on, have a quick look. This okay. is a distraction section. Why is corpsing... Distraction section. Okay, why is laughing called corpsing? Is TV Tropes going to tell us? It better. Corpsing. This is tvtropes.org, one of my favourite websites, I have to say. It's brilliant. Corpsing, also called breaking, is actor speak for having an unscripted fit of laughter on stage. So-called because the worst time to have the giggles is when one is playing a corpse. Right, So if, I see. if you are on stage uh, pretending to be dead, then that's the worst time to start giggling uncontrollably. Strange uh, logic to that phrase. Yeah. But yeah, corpsing is something you should never do because you're trying to play a corpse, not well, laugh. Well, when you're trying to play a corpse, yeah. yeah. Because otherwise the audience are like, that person's not dead. Look, they're laughing. He's laughing, yeah. And yeah, he's ru- ruined the seriousness of the scene. You can't be dead and, and laughing at the same time. Technically, technically not. No. So uh, Next. 
Next. So that was the one about, you know, is it customary to open a crisp packet? It's difficult to say that. Especially when you go from packet to bag. The crisp packet is often ripped open in a certain way to allow everyone to take crisps from the bag, not from the packet. Okay. Number 21. It is customary to make tea for any tradesmen, that's like plumbers or decorators, who visit your house. Or tradeswomen. Or tradespeople. It's customary to make tea for any plumbers, decorators, carpenters, and other people who might come to do work in your house. You I'd say... Do you fancy, would you like a cup of tea? I'd say offer tea, not make tea, because you offer it first. You well, don't just give them the tea. Yeah, you but go, you do, would you, you like some tea? You offer it to them, and then you then would you make, would make it. it. You, you don't make, just offer it and then not make you it. You don't just say, would you like some tea? And they go, oh, yes, please. Well, I'm not going to make it for you. <laughs> Tough. What do you think this is? I'll offer it to you, but I won't make it for you. <laughs> okay, true or I false? I think it's a customary. So is it customary to make tea for someone who comes to your house to do work? Uh, 22. When going to the pub with friends or colleagues, it is customary to order drinks in rounds. So what's a round? A round of drinks. Everyone's got to know that one. It's It's where you pay for everyone's drink, and then the next time round, they pay for everyone else's drinks the next time round. You go round the table, and you say, what would you like? What would you like? The problem is with that, you're kind of locked into a... If there's eight people there, and you buy a round, you're locked into drinking eight pints. Just a second. Can I just stop you there? This is technically the reading out the sentences round. Sorry, you're right. This is not the discussing the questions. Okay. Sentences, I mean. So, when going to the pub with friends or colleagues, it is customary to order drinks in rounds. True or bullshite? Number 23. 23. As, as James yawns for the third time. It is illegal in the UK to be drunk in charge of a horse. 23. It is illegal in the UK to be drunk in charge of a horse. Number 24. It is illegal in the UK to be drunk on licensed premises. Premises. Let me say that again. It is illegal in the UK to be drunk on licensed premises. And licensed premises basically means a pub. Right? So it's illegal to be drunk in a pub. It's illegal to be drunk in a pub. This isn't the discussion it's part. illegal, not illegal, but it's illegal to be drunk in a pub in the UK. True okay. or false? Number 25. It is illegal to carry a plank of wood along a road in the City of London. True or false? City of London is the bit in the middle where all the financial districts are. The square mile. The square mile. They have their own police force. Uh, They're kind of, yeah. 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 The the bankers. They're all a bunch of bankers. The police have their own special little gold badges in the the city as well. Special gold badges. Special gold badges. Um, so it's illegal to to uh, to carry a plank of wood along a road in the city of London. A plank of wood is a long piece of wood, not a beam, but a thinner piece that you might use for a floorboard or something like that. Right. Okay. That's the end of the section. No, it's not. Yeah, that's the end of the section, folks. Okay. Right. Let's go back and discuss. Right. Let's go oh. back and discuss. So here are the answers, folks. Are you ready? How many did you get? Let's see as we go through the answers. James, number 13. In the UK, by law, if one man's dog gets bitten by another man's dog, the owner of the dog that did the biting must buy the other man a pub lunch. Did you read that out? I did. You, That's you, false. It's absolutely false. There's no grounds for that being true whatsoever. You just made it up. I made it up. I made it up or you made it up or we combined. We did a Lennon and McCartney on it and made it up together. But it's not true. No. Sorry. Number 14. If the UK flag is flying at Buckingham Palace... As James yawns for the fourth time, listeners, you get bonus points if you can guess how many times James oh, yawns through, throughout this. Uh, um, if the UK flag 
is flying at Buckingham Palace, it means the Queen is in the building. It's false, listeners. It's false. So the, 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 you know, the Union flag, the red, white and blue one, the one that looks quite cool, that flag, um, that's what I mean by the UK flag. Uh, no, that doesn't mean the Queen is in the building. If you see that flying above Buckingham uh, Palace, no, Buckingham Palace. Um, no, it's the Royal Standard, a different flag. Which is the three lions, isn't it? Three lions on, on the flag. Children uh, are still gleaming. It's coming. 30 years ago. Never stop me dreaming. Royal standard. The royal standard. Yeah, let's have a little look at the royal standard. Lots of pubs called the royal standard. It's got a harp and three lions on it. Three lions on the standard. Um... Okay, the royal. This is Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Uh, the royal standards of the United Kingdom refers to either one of two similar flags used by Queen Elizabeth II in her capacity as sovereign of the United Kingdom, the Crown Dependencies, and the British Overseas Territory territories. Uh, two versions of the flag exist: one for general use in England, Northern Ireland, Wales the Crown Dependencies and the British Overseas Territories, and the other for use in Scotland. Okay, so it's a, a red, yellow and blue flag uh, with three lions on it and a harp, which I suppose represents Northern Ireland or maybe the Overseas Territories. And then uh, you've got um, a red lion, which I suppose is the Scotland. Pub. The pub. And also the name of a pub. So anyway, it's a different flag. That's uh, if you see the royal standard flying above uh, Buckingham Palace when the when uh, you're there, then it means the Queen is in the building. Queen's at home. Yeah, that's right. She's got her feet up. We've got a cup of tea. Watching the snooker. Watching the snooker. That's right. Right. Number fifteen. Number fifteen. If you live to be a hundred years old in the UK, you will receive a personal letter from the Queen in the post. Can't be true. It's can true. It? I know, I know it is. It can't be true, but it is true. Even though it can't it be true. true, it is true. Um, that's right. The, you get a you get a you get a letter from you the get queen. a telegram, don't you? Mm, or you get a letter. It's got to be a letter. letter. It's not. A telegram. I don't think it's an email either. Okay, these days. number sixteen. Number 16. In 2020, English winemakers Langham Wine Estate of Dorset won the International Wine and Spirits Competition Sparkling Wine Producer of the Year, which is one of the most prestigious awards a winemaker can win. They beat every top French champagne brand in the competition. I think it's pretty obvious by the way we delivered that. It's true, listeners. Can you believe it? It's absolutely true. And it was a blind test, which means the judges didn't know. So there's no bias or anything like that. It was just simply it tasted better than the rest. And that included <laughs> some of the top French champagne brands that you could uh, find in the champagne market. The English one. Right. Number 17. It is bloody good English sparkling wine. I'm not saying we're good at everything. The red wine's not up to scratch. Here's the thing, though, right? English, that English sparkling wine is really good, but champagne is also really good. Yeah, I, I love mean, it's, champagne. It, it, I know it's a competition. It's the International Wine and Spirit Competition Sparkling Wine Producer of the Year competition. I know it's a competition, but also it's not a competition, is it? Because it's a celebration, man. Number your number fifth fifth oh. yawn fifth yawn. It's all right. I don't mind. I actually don't mind because listeners, if they guess the correct number of yawns in total, they get bonus points and that's all you get okay now next question do you want to read this one out 
1976, a huge rat was discovered in the sewers. The police lost two dogs in their attempt to capture and destroy the animal. <laughs> um, it's not true Clearly at all. bollocks. I, I had fun making that one up. Um, but, I mean, people do say that there are rats... Uh, as big as cats down there. ...in the London uh, uh, sewer system, that there are lots of rats. You know, it's one of those things where people say, oh, in London, you're never, you're never more than two metres away from a rat. There was a letter in Viz about that the other day, and it really? said, well, I was umpiring at a cricket game the other day, and I was definitely more than two metres away from a rat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, because if you're already in the middle of a cricket field, then... Uh, That's probably you, not... But there's, I think the implication is they're below you in the sewers. Yeah. But I guess there's no sewers running underneath a cricket pitch anyway, so... Maybe there are, you never know. Maybe, maybe they're are. buried under the ground. Maybe they are. So that's not true, but... Uh, There's a lot of rats. There are lots of rats in London, like they are in most large cities. Um, number 18. I think I made this one up. No, I did this one. All right, all right. Thank all you right. very mu- very much. In the UK, we drive on the left side of the road, but in 1987, the UK government introduced plans to switch from driving on the left to driving on the right to bring the country in line with European standards. The initiative, which was eventually scrapped, meaning it was it was cancelled, was to be phased in over a period of six months. So that there's the joke, listeners. Did you spot it? You can't phase in driving from the left to on the right uh, gradually because that would be chaos, wouldn't it? To phase something in is to bring something in gradually, little bit by little bit, until eventually it's after six months it's fully enforced. You can't phase in driving on the, on the right. I don't understand how we ended up driving on the left and everyone else is on the right. Didn't Could they not have a meeting beforehand and go, look, guys, let's get some consistency here and make it more efficient for car producers as well? It's got to be because we... We, we just hated the French. No, because we were on an island, you know, and we just started driving on the left and they all started driving on the wrong side. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, they never, we never quite managed to put the two together, you know. But they say, you know, I've talked about this before as well. They say that... Um, uh, one of the reasons, possibly, that we drive on the left, and uh, this is maybe my argument for why it's the correct side to drive yeah. on, is that if you're on a horse, mm-hmm. right, you know when you're on a horse, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're on a horse, um, and you're about to pass someone else who's on a horse. Which side do you want your good arm on? To f- if you need to defend yourself against that person. You want your your right arm is probably going to be your good arm unless you're left-handed. So you want to pass that person. Oh, see, in case on of the a left. highwayman yeah, wants you, to rob you, you want to pass strangers on other, on horses on the left side so that you're more in a in a better position to defend, to defend yourself, yourself with against your good attackers. Arm. So that's why we drive on the left. Goes back f- before cars. Yes. So we were already riding horses on the left before cars came along. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good one. I like that. But um, I mean, we could this go pure on. conjecture, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we could go on about that a lot more and argue about who's right and who's wrong. It really doesn't matter, does it? At the end of the day, or the beginning of the day, or any time of the day, it doesn't matter. But there are lots of other people in the world who do drive on the left. You know, loads of other countries do drive on the left. But in in total, I think it's more countries drive on the right. But uh, I don't know, and I I don't really care either, actually, that much. Number 19. Unless I'm in France and I'm driving a car, and in which case I do have to care which side I drive on, uh, or at least everyone else does. Right, 
number 19. 19. It's always raining somewhere in the UK. It's, it's, this, this is not true. I mean, it's it just not... It has to be false, because, I mean, it feels like it is sometimes, but uh, that would just be ridiculous. Yeah, and I, and I it, you know, again, I'm, I'm playing on people's uh, prejudices or um, stereotypes about the UK here, but sure, we do get a lot of rain, but it's there are periods when there is no rain anywhere in the British Isles, Okay. So there. Uh, number 20. Uh, it's customary to buy a... P- can you read this one out? Oh, f- I can, actually. It Do is it. customary to buy a packet of crisps to be shared while having a drink in a pub. And the crisp packet is often ripped open in a certain way to allow everyone to take crisps from the bag. Oh, I did it. You that's did crisps, it. not chips. Yeah. And that's bag, not packet. And I did say quiff. So this is basically true that it's normal. It's to, kind of true, yeah. Well, I mean, no. it's, it's not like a law or anything. No, it's customary. It's not league. It's not. And there's a way you rip the bag so the bag splays open and allows everyone to access the crisps within. Splays open. Nice, nice Good phraseology. Word. One nice thing, word. another thing, which is true. We have the best crisps in the world and in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. That's a fact. That's scientifically. I mean, where else can you get beef and mustard flavored crisps? And others, prawn cocktail, prawn cocktail, crisps. Um, Worcester sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, what other are good ones? The really heavy cheese-based ones. The kind of cheddar. tangy cheddar, just rich cheddar. All the cheese and onion varieties that there yeah, are. Yeah, and also just the classics: ready salted, uh, salt and, and vinegar, salt and vinegar, really tangy. You know, like actually mm. hurts a bit Very slightly to to eat. Tart vinegar. Yeah. Uh, Yes, please. Okay, number twenty-one. Um, it, so that the the crisp thing is basically true. Yeah, okay, it's, it's not like yeah. it is normal. It's quite it's, normal. It's customary. Yeah, it's it quite is. normal to buy a packet of crisps and open the bag so everyone yeah, can share. You don't it. sit there eating your own bag unless you've bought a bag for everyone. If you come back with a pack, it's normally the done thing is to rip it open and just go, "Hey, help yourself to crisps, guys." L- crisps let me open it me. in a special way. Or in the case of some people, I spoke to a podcaster. Um, recently, a British guy who who instead of opening, uh, ripping open the packet, he kind of folds he uh, folds the packet up. James yawned again. That's number six. You didn't notice, listeners, but I did with my eyes. He kind of rolls up the packet, revealing all the crisp. I know I I, I didn't understand it either, but um, yeah, I'm, James is looking very non baffled. James is looking baffled, uh, befuddled, nonplussed. Mm. And other such phrases. It's like, what? Roll up the packet? For, you do what? <laughs> yeah, no, you rip it open and splay it out. Splay it. On the table. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But, uh, okay. Number 21. Uh, it's customary to make tea for any tradesmen or people, uh, plumbers, decorators, carpenters, and so on, who visit your house. It is, that's true. It is normal. So if you are if you are in a house in England and you've got someone to come round who's going to fix your washing machine, then you oh here's the washing machine. Oh, yeah, it just not, doesn't seem to be working, and I'm not quite sure why. Thanks for coming. Look at it. Can I make you a cup of tea? Or would you like a cup of tea? Yeah. And they oh yeah thanks very much. And but they normally say no. They might do, but sometimes they'll be like oh thanks very much yeah. And then then what's the next question you have to ask? Uh, sugar, milk and sugar. Milk and sugar. And the person goes, uh, yeah, milk, two sugars, please. Or no, uh, yeah, milk, no sugar. Something like that. That's milk and two, please, mate. Yeah. Anyway, what's number, next? Number 22. When going to the pub or 
No. When going to the pub with friends or colleagues, it is customary to order drinks in rounds. It's true. It's customary. You don't really go up and buy your own drink. It's just not really done. Yeah. If you're with friends, you say, what are you having, mate? Or mates? Or, I'll get these. I'll get these. It's your round. There's it? always one person lurking at the back that's kind of doesn't get a round in. Yes, it's a bit fraught and tricky sometimes. And it also means if you go to the pub for a quick one and you're with four mates and you go, oh, I'll get these, you're kind of locked into a four-pint session then because yeah. otherwise you've lost your pint and everyone feels obliged, oh, it's my round next, you know. So yeah. it kind of gets you into a kind of quite heavy drinking situation, that's, which is part of the fun. That's why they say that in the UK you can't just go for one drink because you end up having to buy another person a drink and then blah, 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 blah. So that's true. The rounds, buying drinks in rounds, as everyone knows. Number 23, it's illegal in the UK to be drunk in charge of a horse. This is true, apparently. There is a law which says it's, I mean, in the same way that it's illegal to be drunk and uh, while driving a car or a bicycle, not that you drive a bicycle, you ride one. But, it's yeah, it's illegal to be drunk in charge of a horse. There you go, true. It'd be weird if it wasn't. If it was like, hey, you can... Just as drunk as you like. So if you're walking down the street really drunk with a horse and the policeman stops you, excuse me, uh, sir, have you been drinking? Uh, yes, well, yeah, uh, yes, I have. All right, carry on. No as problem. long as you've got that horse with you, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, uh, uh, Dave, Dave, you've had a few too many drinks. You better get a horse. Quick, get him a horse. Then <laughs> I've got a horse you can lend to Dave. All right, in 24, it is illegal in the UK to be drunk in a pub. This is actually true, believe it or not. What? There is a there is a law. Which... That's the whole purpose of a pub, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see if I can. No, find... it is. It is true. It is true because you, you depends how you define drunk. But you can be under the influence of alcohol, but not drunk. Drunk. This is from the culturetrip.com. Is it illegal to be drunk in a pub in the United Kingdom? Da, 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 da. The UK famously has a reputation as a rainy nation with lots of pubs. Why are they mentioning the rain there? There's probably a connection there. Uh, uh, but did you know that there is a law in the UK that prohibits being drunk in a pub? Uh, yes, believe it or not, a UK statute, that means law, actually prohibits drunkenness in the one place where you're theoretically supposed to be drunk, the pub. Indeed, technically, the Act makes it illegal to be drunk pretty much anywhere in England and Wales that isn't private property. Well, that's as far as we need to go with that. So uh, if the culturetrip.com says it's true, then it must be true. Next, we have uh, number 25. That's the last one of this section. Mm -hmm. It is illegal to carry a plank of wood along a road in the city of London. True. It is true. Just the city of London, though, not the whole of London, not Greater London. This is from the BBC, bbc.co.uk. Section 54 of the Metropolitan Police Act stipulates that you are not allowed to carry a plank along a pavement in London unless you are unloading it from a vehicle. The ban extends to other things, including casks, that's like barrels full of beer or something, tubs, hoops, wheels, ladders, poles and placards. And if you thought that 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 you would get around the rule by rolling your tub along, that's banned too. The law is in place to prevent nuisance and increase ease of passage on public thoroughfares. It's a matter of enforcement, though, isn't it? You can make anything illegal, but if there's not enough police on the streets to enforce it... <laughs> that's right. That's right. OK, listeners, so there you go. Right, I need a quick break. James needs to have a waz. Excuse me. We'll be back after this waz break. 
not need a waz. I'm going to get a glass of wine. Oh, actually. okay. Sorry. So that's the end of part one. How many of those facts did you identify as being true and false? How many did you get right? Uh, you're you're keeping track of your score, right? You're counting. Uh, you can count. You can count, right? Anyway, maybe you're not keeping track, which is totally fine. It might be tricky to keep track of your score. That's okay. To be honest, really, I don't expect you to do that. I don't expect you to keep track. And as I said, the points, I mean, there's no there's no trophy or anything. But I wonder if you generally managed to guess which of those things were true and which ones were just bollocks, basically, made up by us. Did anything surprise you? Did anything amuse you? Let us know by leaving your comments in the comment section. So that was only the first 25 facts, of course. We're not done yet. This will all continue in part two when we look at facts 26 to 50 in the same way. I guess you can just look forward to that. It will require all your patience to do so, I can imagine. Like, oh, I can't wait, Luke, please. I believe in you. I th you can do it. Now, let me... Let, 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 no, I'll start that again. <laughs> now, let me go through some vocabulary, as I said I would earlier. A lot of these facts deal with things like laws, government actions, and also traditions and customs. And so I thought I would just clarify some words which relate to those things and which came up either in which have come up in this part or which will come up in part two. Yet again, I'm doing this on the free podcast as a little taste of the kind of thing you usually get in episodes of LEP Premium these days, like vocab, detailed vocab summaries, reviews, explanations, and so on. It's normally that's normally on LEP Premium, but you know, I'm willing to like give you a little taste. So the words I'm going to talk about now are these, a rule, a law, legislation, to ban something or to be banned, an act of parliament, provisions in an act, a royal decree, an initiative, a custom, and the word customary. Okay, right. So let's go through those things and I'll try to be brief. So words for different types of law or government action. We'll start with a rule, a rule that's a countable noun. And obviously, a rule is just something which says whether you are allowed or not allowed to do something. The difference between a rule and a law is that the word rule is more general and is used in all sorts of situations, not just by governments and the police and stuff. So schools have rules. For example, no chewing gum in the classroom. Uh, people's homes have rules. For example, no mobile phones at the dinner table. Um, or, you know, you take your shoes off before you come in, you know, so you get rules in all sorts of different situations. Also, sports and games have rules, of course, like the offside rule in football. So that's rules. Then a law, and again, a law that, in this case, this is a countable noun. That's the, that's what I'm referring to here. Laws are rules which determine uh, whether things are legal or illegal. Okay, and they're made and introduced by the government and enforced by the police and the justice system. So obviously, we also say things like to break a law, to be against the law. Um, we also have the word law, which is uh, uncountable, opposed to 
a law which is countable. So, right, so we just have the word law, for example, to study law. And this means the whole system of rules which determine what is allowed, not allowed, what people have the right and don't have the right to do or have. So you've got a law, which is one particular rule, uh, you know, introduced by the government. And then you've got law itself, which is just a system of all those rules. Then we've also got the word legislation, okay, which is an uncountable noun. So we don't say a legislation, it's just legislation in general, how much legislation. Legislation is another word for law, but it's uncountable. Here are some sentences which basically mean the same thing, just to demonstrate. So the government created legislation banning the possession of handguns. And also you could say the government created a law or the government created laws banning the possession of handguns. So legislation means laws. It's just uncountable. Okay, so it's the same word as law. But we don't say a legislation because it's uncountable. Instead, we would say, uh, instead, we would say a piece of legislation. Um, the government introduced new legislation banning the use of diesel cars in urban areas. And the government introduced a new law banning the use of diesel cars in urban areas. Those things mean the same thing. Legislate as well. We've got the, the verb to legislate. So legislate is is a verb um, to legislate for or to legislate against something, which means to create laws, to oblige people to do things or to prohibit uh, certain things, to prohibit people from doing things. For example, the government in 2007 legislated against smoking in indoor public places. So you can legislate for or legislate against. Uh, to ban something... There's another verb, okay? Uh, this means to prohibit or stop something. And it's usually used in reference to government laws, which makes something prohibited. But also, other, you know, again, other institutions can ban things, like the BBC might ban um, a certain record from being played on the radio, which just means that they, uh, none of the DJs are allowed to play that record. So when, for example, you hear... The BBC banned this record. It just means that the BBC didn't let any of their DJs play it. It didn't mean that the record was illegal. But um, to ban something, yes. Yeah. So prohibit or stop something. Um, for example, um, smoking was banned in public spaces in 2007. The government banned smoking. So it's often passive. Smoking was banned. Okay, that's the passive version. And the government banned smoking. That's the active version. Okay, sometimes, as I said, the word ban or the, the verb banned. Sometimes the word ban or the verb to ban is used in situations outside the legal system. For example, mobile phones are banned in the classroom. Or a person can also be banned from a certain... Mobile phones are banned in the classroom. A person can also be banned from a certain place. And banned, that's B-A-N-N-E-D, which you will see, of course, if you're reading the notes on my website. A person can be banned from a certain place. For example, Dave has been banned from the golf club for starting a fight last week. Ah, oh, Dave, what are we going to do with Dave? He just can't handle his booze. He lost at golf and then he got drunk and he started a fight with one of the regular golfers. It was so embarrassing. So he's been banned from the golf club. 
Okay, so it could be a noun or a verb. The smoking ban, that's a noun. There's a ban on smoking, also the noun version. And the, and the verb version, the government banned smoking. So there you go. Next, we move on to the word act, an act of parliament. Okay, so this relates, again, specifically to government laws and legislation. An act is a specific piece of legislation which creates law. Hmm. Okay, so when politicians make laws, for example, in the House of Commons in London, there's a certain process, and we use different words for that legislation during the process. So first, the law is introduced just as an idea, just as a proposal. It's introduced by a member of parliament as a bill, and it's called a bill at the, in its first incarnation. It's introduced as a bill, which is basically a written proposal for a law, a kind of suggestion. The bill is then discussed by the MPs in the House of Commons and also in the House of Lords. Okay, there's two chambers in uh, the Houses of Parliament in, the, in London. So a bill will be discussed by the House of Commons and the House of Lords and it's voted on. So those politicians will vote whether they agree uh, for the law to be sort of enacted in its, in its form. Um, so it's, it's, it's discussed and then voted on. And then when that bill has been approved, including being given the royal assent by the Queen, the Queen has to go, mm, OK, and stamp it, although she doesn't. She probably doesn't do it. It's probably done by someone else in, in, the, in the Buckingham Palace. But when a law has been voted on and then approved and given royal assent by the Queen, yes, stamp, then it's written into law in the form of an act. This act defines the law. It's kind of like a contract. Each act, which contains various laws, has a name. Okay? For example, the Treason Felony Act of 1848, which makes it an offence, or a crime, to do any, any action with the intention of deposing the monarch. Okay? That's the Treason Felony Act of 1848, a very old law, really. This makes it illegal to do anything that will depose the monarch, that will get rid of the king or queen, including uh, planning or trying to remove the queen from the throne, or in fact, to remove the crown from the queen. It's actually the crown which has the power. Did you know that? So it's whoever's wearing that crown instantly is given magical... It's like a magic hat, basically. Yeah. British uh, institutional life is a lot more like Harry Potter than you might expect. Yeah, we have a magic hat which gives you superpower superpowers to decide what <laughs> what can be law and legal and illegal. You whoever's got that magic hat can choose who the prime minister is and invite them to form a government. They don't need a passport. It's it's amazing. Oh, they don't need a passport. Was that one of the clues in the the next part? I don't know. So. It, this includes planning and devising things in written form, spoken form. So, okay, the, the Treason Felony Act is an example of an act which defines the law that we that relates to treason, that makes it illegal to try to get rid of the, the queen or the king. It was created in 1848, which, and it makes it against the law to try to depose the monarch. That's the uh, Treason Felony Act. Another example is the Data Protection Act 2018 
which controls how your personal information is used by organisations, businesses or the government. So the Data Protection Act 2018 is the UK's implementation of the General Data Protection Regulation. Have you heard of that? GDPR. A regulation is like a rule that governments or institutions have to follow. Oh, it starts to get complicated. There's another word, regulation. A regulation is basically a rule that is imposed on institutions. And another example is the Homicide Act 1957, which makes it illegal to kill someone or commit murder. Okay, and by the way, it says 1957, but of course murder wasn't legal before 1957. Of course not. It's just that in 1957, this law relating to murder or homicide would have been redefined somehow and a new act was created which contained which contained provisions relating to all acts of homicide so it's the most recent um uh, it's the most recent act that defines all the laws that um that make it illegal to kill another person to commit murder the the homicide act 1957 and then we've got the word provision, a provision. This is a countable noun. So a provision, this is a statement within an agreement or a statement within a piece of legislation. So a specific line in an act or in a contract uh, that states that a particular thing must happen or must be done. Okay, so this is like a specific section of an act of parliament or a specific detail in an act of parliament. You also get provisions in contracts between people and companies. Okay, so you've got the the act, which is like the document containing all the provisions, and that defines the law. That defines what is legal and not legal. In the case of government, um, uh, the 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 in the in the case of the legal system. Then we've got the phrase a decree or a royal decree. A decree is an order that something must be done. Okay, so a royal decree is when the king or queen orders that something must be done. These days it doesn't really happen in the UK, so royal decrees are only heard about when referring to history. And an example would be uh, in 19, not even 19, in 957, so that's like over a thousand years ago, King Edgar in 1957, decreed that all settlements, that's towns, in England, were restricted to having only one alehouse per settlement. So basically, in, in 957, King Edgar said, right, all towns, you can have no more than one pub per town. Maximum one pub per town. Okay, there you go. That's the law, because I've just said so by royal decree. So this was a law to try to control the number of pubs or places selling ale across the country. The decree lasted until after the Norman conquest of England in 1066, after which more and more ale houses, inns and pubs started arriving. So thanks for the thanks to the Normans, the French invaders who killed uh, England's king at the time. Thank God they killed our king so that we could get more pubs. Um, here's an example from the Bible, another example of a decree, this time by a Roman emperor. And this is from the Gospel according to Luke, 
yeah, Luke, the original Luke from the Bible. Okay, this is the gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, verse number 1. I've never read something from the Bible on this podcast before, but there's a first time, there's always a first time for everything. So this is an example of a decree, a, a decree by a Roman emperor. Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar, Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, meaning being fully pregnant. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So that's um, a passage from yeah chapter 2 of the Gospel according to Luke where he describes how uh, Joseph and Mary, pregnant with Jesus, went into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, in order to pay tax because Caesar Augustus decreed that everyone had to pay tax. And while she was there, she gave birth to Jesus. And she had to do it uh, in a manger because there was no room in the inn because it was Christmas and all the hotels were all booked up. So next, an initiative. This is the next word, an initiative. So this is a new plan or process to achieve something or solve a problem. So it's kind of like a project or something that people plan to do. It's not a, a rule or law. It's just more like a project or a plan to do something. For example, the peace initiative was welcomed by both sides. That would be a nice um, bit of news to receive, wouldn't it? Imagine this. So, um, you know, breaking news. Uh, global leaders agree to news, new peace initiative guaranteeing global peace for the rest of eternity. The peace initiative was welcomed by all sides and everyone decided that they would never fight and they should all just make honey and cakes and uh, share ice cream together and um, live happily ever after. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um and we've got also the word custom, a custom. This is a countable noun. This is just a way of behaving or doing something which has existed for a long time. It's like a tradition. Okay, a custom. For example, drinking tea with milk is just a custom, isn't it? In the UK, right? It's just why do you drink tea with milk, especially when it's slightly less healthy than drinking it without milk? I don't know. It's just something we do. It's just what we do, isn't it? Plus, it's really nice. It's a kind of a, it's a custom. Other examples would be, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you some in a second. The adjective is customary, customary. And it's it's often used in the phrase, it's customary to do something, or it was customary to do something. For example, it's customary to bring a gift to someone's house if you're invited to lunch or dinner. It's customary in Japan to remove your shoes when you enter someone's house. It's just a custom. It's customary in the UK to shake someone's hand when you first meet them, especially in more formal contexts. Although since COVID came along, oh, we don't like to touch each other, do we? 
we all got confused, didn't we, with COVID? Like, what do we do? We can't shake hands. Should we fist bump? Should we, should we like touch our feet together? Should we elbow bump? Should we just headbutt? Nice to meet you. Whack. <laughs> Next, yeah. Weird though. Like, punch your fist together. Punch your elbows. Kick you in the foot. Yeah, it's a good thing people didn't take it too far. It's like, hello, I'd like to meet, I'd like you to introduce you to to John. John, this is Dave. Dave, this is John. Hello, nice to meet you. Whack. <laughs> Sorry, since COVID came along, I just don't know what to do when I meet someone. So I end up just like smashing their face in. Sorry, mate. Oh, dear. Well, at least you haven't got COVID. Anyway, that's it, listeners. That was just a little run through of some of the words that you heard, or at least will hear. That's the end of part one. Okay, and part two is coming soon. Thank you for listening. Okay, leave your comments in the comment section on the website or on YouTube or wherever you're listening to this. Okay, and that would be nice. Okay, right, good. Have a lovely evening, morning, afternoon, rest of the day, rest of the whatever. If you're driving a car, uh, keep your eyes on the road safety first and all that stuff. Okay, if you're walking down the street, left, right, left, right, left, right. That's it. Keep it up. I will speak to you soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.